Brew Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the top-tier brewing stand. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think. Jamil Zainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Howdy, hey, my Bruin brothers and sisters. Greetings, cretins. <laughs> How are you all today? Oh, doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. A little tired. I am tired. Yeah? I gotta yeah. admit, I had the Vente Starbucks Crappuccino, whatever it was. Yeah. Well, you've probably been volunteering at all those fires up north, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've been fighting fires in my spare time. Yeah, uh, uh, piloting, right? Uh, air tanker support. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's you know they don't have enough of us, so uh, you know you got to jump in and do what you can do every every now and then. Yeah, yeah. Well, you had that spare tank evil twin that you were able to <laughs> take up there. Uh no, no, no. We wouldn't do that. <laughs> But yeah, it's it's uh so the other day we're walking uh we're walking to the grocery store or something. The family and I were mm-hmm. in the grocery store and the sun we were we were staring like straight at the sun uh-huh. because the smoke was so thick you could stare straight at the sun. It was just like a blood red ball wow. in the sky. It's just the most bizarre thing because normally you can't stare straight at the sun. That's right. But the smoke was so thick you easily could. Wow. Kind of freaky. So, yeah. Although the wind came in today and kind of blew blew the skies clear. Very oh, bizarre. Nice. Yeah. You know, one of those one of those bizarre things. Speaking mm. of bizarre things. Huh? Uh, I haven't seen John Blickman in a, in a while. I, you know, it's been yeah. since the conference. I understand he's been in Europe and other places, various places lately. So, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Is he dealing with the? Is he in Hungary, uh, building a fence or uh, trying to help <laughs> the refugees? Which is it? Uh, yeah, probably just uh, distributing brewing equipment. Right. Yeah. Near and far. There you go. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Um, it didn't haven't seen him since the uh, or heard from him since the uh, homebrewers conference, which was yeah. quite a blast. And uh, oh, it was yeah. Uh, I assume he's working on uh, more great and interesting equipment. He is indeed, and uh, I am I am waiting until we can start announcing it. Probably next month. See, he doesn't tell me doesn't tell me squat, <laughs> but I would imagine that uh, once the things announced. Go check it out on their on their website. So you should, That's right. as a listener, be perusing the Blickman Engineering website and seeing all the goodies that they have and 
when they come out with new goodies, check that out. And you can always uh, pick it up at uh, many fine retailers, including uh, More Beer. I think uh, you can get That's that right. there. And uh, yep. a lot of you know your local homebrew shops go in and say, hey, I want this Blickman stuff. And they'll, they'll hunt it down for you, I'm sure. They'll set you up. Yep. Yep. Uh, and they make great stuff. Innovating your brew day, as uh, JP yep. likes to say. That's right. Good good stuff. Uh, speaking of good stuff, um, uh, we've got, uh, what, random Q&A today? Yep, random, random Q&A. We've, uh, Just kind of catching up, catching yep. up Q&A. We're only like a thousand questions behind. Yeah. These ones I was able to harvest from the last couple of months, so they're mainly this summer. Mm-hmm. Um, because they were easy to find, but uh, we do need to go through and kind of sort of find the ones that have gotten kind of lost over the years. Yeah, Make there's sure those out there too. There's literally like 800 of them. Yeah, I've I've looked. I've, I was like, oh my god, we will never ever cover all these questions. <laughs> well, and if you want your question never answered, uh, send it into Bruce Strong at thebringnetwork dot com. <laughs> and uh, we'll be we'll jump right on that. Although we are covering some of the more recent ones, we're doing a little bit better now. We just haven't really cut the whole backlog down. That's why we'll sometimes someone will have written in like five years ago. Somebody wrote in a question, and we're getting to it now. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, hey, what can I say? This is this is the way we roll. Yeah, and, and they're still timely because there are always people at every level of experience right. that are having the same questions that you do. You may have given up on homebrewing. You may have sold all your <laughs> gear. You may have stopped listening, and you may may have like uh, gone to live in another country. But we're still answering your questions. We reserve the right to answer all of them. All right, let's do this. Let's take a short break. When we come back, uh, we'll start in with um, a question, I guess. That's right? right. All right, back after this. Are you looking for a simple brewing system that's great for all grain brewing, but everything on the market seems to be full of compromises? Blickman Engineering has the answer. The Blickman Brew Easy All Grain Brewing System. The Brew Easy is a complete system with easy upgrades and a beautiful compact design, perfect for any size brewing location. At its core, the Brew Easy is built on two gorgeous Blickman Boilermaker brew kettles, a high temperature March pump, and either a top tier gas burner or the new boil coil electric heater. The Brew Easy adapter lid allows the pots to stack on top of each other, forming an efficient, strong, and compact brewing setup that comes in 5, 10, and 20-gallon batch sizes. Upgrade your BrewEasy system with full automated control by adding a Blickman Tower of Power temp controller and make moving around easy with the Blickman Kettle Cart. The BrewEasy is modular. If you already own a Boilermaker kettle, you can build your BrewEasy by purchasing just the modules you need. The new BrewEasy all-grain brewing system. See it today at BlickmanEngineering.com and brew with Blickman quality on your new brew easy it's the first time the brewing network microphones turned on more beer was behind it more beer sponsors the programming on the bn because like you they love brewing and like the brewing network they love sharing their knowledge 
morebeer.com isn't just a website to place your next equipment or ingredient order morebeer.com also gives you access to free beer information that will make you a better brewer go to morebeer.com and click into the learning center you'll find podcasts technical facts video tutorials and more including access to the buzz more beer social network of more than 5,000 members and some of them might even be crazier about beer than you are get over to morebeer.com today and take advantage of the buzz the forum the learning center and make sure you're signed up to receive the newest more beer catalog more beer bringing you absolutely everything for beer making when i order a beer i want my server to know more about it than i do i want someone who enjoys good beer and loves helping others enjoy it too i want someone who knows how to pour a perfect pint for every beer style i want a cicerone The Cicerone Certification Program is creating the type of people who help you enjoy great beer. Home brewers and craft beer lovers know beer is more flavorful and complex than ever, and it takes some serious knowledge to store and serve beer right. Cicerones know beer. There are three levels in the Cicerone Program. Certified Beer Server, Certified Cicerone, and Master Cicerone. Cicerones are truly the sommeliers of beer. The best beer locations have a certified Cicerone on staff. Relaxed and unpretentious, Cicerones are tested on storing and serving beer, beer styles, flavor and tasting, the brewing process and ingredients, and pairing food with beer. Learn more about your next beer guide at Cicerone.org. Certified Cicerone, because it takes top talent to present a perfect pint. Back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys. Brew strong. All right. We're back. Yes, we are. <laughs> uh, I was just checking the pot roast to make sure it would be ready later. Okay. All right. Uh, you got enough for all of us? Yeah, actually. Uh, there you go. All right. We'll, we'll be right over after the show. Cool. Uh, first question. Hello. I am a longtime listener of the BN, and in some of the more recent shows, Jamil right, has this, made mention. This, it's going to take a long time if you read all that crap that people type. They feel like they need to type a whole lot in order to fill out. So feel free to edit as needed. Trim off the, the fluffery. I'll try one again, yeah. <laughs> or I'll just read faster. Yeah, well, there you go. Normally, I would have assumed that these would be derivatives of malt precursors, but now I'm wondering if they could also... Possibly be hop derived, or if hops could undergo similar reactions. Explanation: I own, operate a small hop farm in Ontario, Canada, and have centennial hops that were picked from first-year plants, pelletized and vacuum packaged in a kitchen-grade vacuum packager. Possibly leaving a small amount of oxygen behind. They smelled of juicy, sweet citrus, almost tangerine, but with a berry note. When packaged, and after one year in packaging, stored in a freezer, they now smell of cherry candy. Normally, I would write this off as a delicious anomaly, but it is incredibly similar to a flavor aroma I tested in a can of 100 Mile Ale, which is a locally produced ale sourced from Ontario-grown hops. Not mine, which intrigued me at the time, because I couldn't attribute it to a particular hop variety or malt. Questions. Noting the very difference between the aroma of fresh and one-year-old hops that weren't in beer, so there is no yeast influence, can oxidation produce fruit flavors or notes in hops? Well... Oxidation certainly happens, um, and you do get, um, what do they call it, hulipones, 
which are are indeed bitter. Um, but uh, I'm not real sure about the the estuary part of them. Um, it could be that you know this underlying uh, cherry aroma was actually there, you know, but as uh, uh, as a less active volatile so that the you know the more volatile aromas you know oxidized or more susceptible aromas oxidized over that year leaving behind the cherry uh ester which may have been there from the beginning or it may be an oxidation product i'm not really sure yeah i'd, I'd kind of go the same way um also you know if you're smelling the fresh hops initially at room temperature and then later on, you pull this thing out of the freezer, you know, they smell completely different at, you know, freezer temperature and at room temperature. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and I think also what you, you know, I, I, perhaps like some of those other compounds have either blown off or have oxidized and now are no longer, um, you know, uh, now they're they're just something else entirely, so... Um, you can get some changes there. I don't know that that's. I, I, I don't know if there's esterification of hop compounds, um, per se. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't think, I wouldn't think so. so. Yeah. So yeah. And he continues. A couple questions for Jamil. One, he speaks about brewing constantly to get better. Is he speaking about brewing full? Five to ten gallon batches, or as long as your process is the same, can you do smaller brews, two to three gallons? Number two, is the online Cybel Concise course respected in the brewing field? I'm looking to get some experience to perhaps move into the field. Do I need to just suck it up and go to either UC Davis or do the on-site Cybel course? I have a BS in biology. Um, yeah, I, I think if, if the process is the same, the, th- the thing is the equipment and everything else, I think um, you know you really want to keep that as as consistent as possible when you're brewing, and so you know if you're going to change to a different set of gear to brew these two gallon batches, and then another set of gear to brew five gallon or ten gallon, it's better to you know just keep the gear consistent so that you're starting to remove that. From the equation, yeah, yeah and you're, you're kind of settling in and you're able to repeat. I mean, the, the most important thing is being able to actually repeat a batch, you know, um, six months down the road or a year down the road, have a beer turn out virtually the same. And that's a very difficult thing for a lot of people because they don't brew enough. And so their process that, you know, their timing on things, their, their settings of things vary so much that the beer just turns out you know, radically different each time. So it it could be, you know, I, I think it's helpful. Put it that way, brewing any size batch more um, is helpful. But I think ideally you want to keep everything consistent and use that to your advantage. This next one comes from... Oh, hold on, well, let's, hold let's on. go on to question two. All right. You got to give John a chance. To, yeah, we'll teach you. <laughs> It'll teach you. It's okay, Taylor. Don't worry about it. You could go back and listen to some shows. I think you go back and listen to the last eight years of shows. And after you've done that, you'll understand how John and I work. <laughs> All right? 
It should oh, only man. take you Fair enough. a month or two to listen to all the shows. John? So the online SIBO course, um, is it respected in the brewing field? Is it, I understand Alex to be asking, um, is it a good way to get the education you need to enter the brewing field? Mm-hmm. Now, he didn't say whether he's interested in being a brewer or being more of a, uh, a quality, you know, lab person with mm-hmm. his biology degree. Mm-hmm. Um, I asked a couple of people. Uh, I asked Chris White and uh, my friend Lauren Ziedler over at Ballast Point um, what, you know, what their opinions were. And uh, both of them agreed that the, the Siebel course is respected. Um, Chris made a good point that the, you know, actually attending the Siebel course and the networking and the, you know, the hands-on aspect of that is really very important. And this, and Lauren agreed that, uh, you know, if you really want to get into brewing, you know, having that practical experience mm-hmm. um, in, you know, with other brewers, with other professional brewers in a commercial setting uh, makes a big difference, um, you know, as be, uh, being able to step in, step right into a, to a career there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, definitely respected, um, but experience counts for a lot, too. Right. I, and I, I, I assume, um, <clears throat> you know, the concern over respected is, is not, it seems more that, you know, if I do this, can I use that to get a job versus what am I going to learn there? Mm-hmm. So it seems right. like the the person doesn't really have a concern over that. And so that, you know, that for me, you know, just just doing one of these, you know, courses in order to, uh, you know, somehow, you know, impress somebody. I don't I, th- I think. You know, when I hire here, I'm more more impressed with what somebody knows or you know their motivation than I am with you know what course they've they finished. Now, if I had people equally you know available and they had taken a UC Davis or a Siebel or or uh, American Brewers Guild or whatever versus not versus not and you know would i compare them would i consider them all the same i actually i i'm very fond of the uc davis program and what they do there and maybe it's part because i went to uc davis and also we're real close to davis and we get a lot of you know traffic uh through there and uh we have a good relationship with them so but for me you know that tends to be something i hold a little higher esteem uh, but that's just me. I think they're all good programs. Um, but it also depends. They didn't say what course they were talking about. They're talking, there's multiple courses. And, uh, you know, at UC Davis, it's essentially, you know, they even have like a master's program in brewing. So, you know, that's, <laughs> there's, there's the one week course and then there's the thing you do for, you know, six months and. So there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of variability there. I w- and I would say to the person, you know, go back and listen to our shows where we uh, covered getting a job in a brewery. I think that that's you know there's a lot of useful information there, and sometimes you know taking a course isn't necessarily the best way to go. Um, and uh, if you're opening your own brewery, then 
taking a brewing course is probably the worst way to go. I take a business class. So there you go. That's that's much more useful, I think. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Now you may move on to the next question. the next question. question. Yes. All right. This one's from Jordan in Petaluma. Hey, guys. After years of home brewing, I'm going to try my hand at winemaking this year. I've been peppering local winemakers with questions about process, yeast strains, and fermentation profiles and generally get blank looks in response. What's the deal with winemakers? Are they being cagey, or is their knowledge of fermentation less sophisticated than brewers? I find that hard to believe, but their attention to details seems focused on very different issues than ours. For example, they'll happily pitch yeast anywhere in a 20-degree temperature window, and their options for yeast strains are very limited. Do you have any thoughts on winemaking? What lessons from homebrewing can be applied to make better wine? Ah, it's actually an interesting question, and mm-hmm. I think you find, uh, just like in in brewing, you'll find breweries where they really don't know a whole lot about yeast or fermentation, and they're just doing whatever, and especially in home brewing. I mean, they're just sprinkling some dried yeast on top of something, and they don't even pay attention to the temperature, just if it's cold enough that it won't kill the yeast. That's all they're looking for. And you'll find that amongst winemakers as well. But, um, you know, as far as, you know, the number of strains, there, there's a fair number of strains, but a lot of winemakers will use, you know, one strain, you know, a dried yeast. They'll just get a brick of it, you know, uh, that kind of thing. I uh, was at a, a very interesting winery, uh, Green Valley G- GV Cellars in um, Green Valley, which is like Fairfield. And... Um, you grow the grapes there, and they, I, I, I'm sure I heard them say natural fermentation. So they actually don't pitch yeast; they're they're relying on the yeast that's on the grapes already that's to do it. And I'll tell you, it's some of the best wine I've had uh, in my life. I thought it's just absolutely fantastic, stunningly good. And um, you know, I would think with you know natural fermentation to be kind of funky or something, but no, no. Not not at all. So I was I was curious to to find out more from them because they seemed like they actually you know really knew what they were doing. And um, I think um, you know there's a lot of the best winemakers. I, I gotta imagine are, are tracking a lot of data and a lot of things and paying attention to a lot of details. Um, but I'm sure you'll find winemakers that are just kind of winging it too. Yeah. Well, I. Uh... I asked a good friend of yours and mine, uh, <laughs> since I don't know Jack about wine. <laughs> I really don't. I've never done it. I've never, mm-hmm. I don't even drink it very often. I like cooking with it. But so anyway, I asked John Plissé. Oh, uh-huh. and uh, he was kind enough to reply back. He goes, well, to make great wine, you need to understand yeast nutrients, temperature control, pH and acid balance in the must, and sulfite management. And he says... It's really, winemaking is really a different breed of fermentation and nutrient control. Mm-hmm. Uh, wine, wine yeast like 75 to 85 F and require two, two to three doses of nutrients to finish to dryness um, before the, a third of the sugar is depleted. Um, also, proper pH control in the must during fermentation is critical. Um, in red wines, you shoot for a 3.4 to 3.6 and white's about a 3.2 pH. And then you undergo the malolactic bacteria fermentation, 
which is has a very narrow window of temperature, 70 to 75 F, which is like 18 to 20 C, um, if I remember right. And uh, also, if you get any oxygen um, in to the tank or barrel um, after the malolactic fermentation, then you can just ruin the whole batch. So it's it, compared to home brewing, I guess home winemaking is really a different kettle of fish. Um, and John goes on to say that uh, over the years in tasting homemade wine, he's probably only had 10% that he would consider good. He said that you can, <laughs> it's a lot harder to make a good wine than it is to make a good beer uh, because of the, the finickiness of the uh, later stages of fermentation, I believe. I, I don't know about that. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, a lot of uh, the winemaking process relies on, you know, selecting the, the, the proper starting materials and then, yeah, fermentation still, yeah. you know, matters. But um, I think a lot of the wine process is, you know, towards the end where you're adjusting the acid, you're, um, you know, turning malic acid into lactic acid, you're, you're checking the total acidity, you're adjusting the tannins, things like that. Um, so, and also, you know, if you're going to go like into barrels and, you know, uh, then you're talking about, you know, temperature and humidity at which the barrels are stored, which, you know, you're driving off some of the more volatile alcohols or are you concentrating it down by, you know, allowing more water to leave, um, you know, all that control uh has a has an impact as well so it's a lot of that that little stuff as well um and i think there are tricky things about brewing yeah i think it's just a a different set i don't know that um you know if there was i i mean maybe there is some great wine making podcasts now but uh yeah yeah i don't know but yeah, I think there's less focus on uh, you know yeast strains and uh, things like that amongst uh, winemakers. Far yeah. more amongst brewers. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Let's do this. Let's take a short break. When we come back, we'll have more of your questions right after this. Beer tasting games that train your palate, a brewery locator, and the brand new interactive beer style guide. These are just a few of the awesome things you'll find on craftbeer.com. The style guide is a beautiful example of technology and beer. Browse beer style families or turn on the automatic beer style finder and explore beer through color, bitterness, ABV, aroma, and flavor. It's really the coolest way to explore every beer style besides having them all in front of you. Go to craft craftbeer.com and click on beer styles to start the guide plus enjoy the rest of craftbeer.com the brewers banter blogs beer education how to host a beer tasting and the invaluable draft quality manual tons of great content that makes your beer better visit the new craftbeer.com right now and explore the website that brings you all the passion camaraderie and creativity of the craft beer community craftbeer.com celebrating the best of american beer A few things happened 30 years ago. ARPANET migrated to TCPIP, and the Internet was born. Revenge of the G- 
Jedi was renamed Return of the Jedi and opened in theaters. Mila Kunis and Emily Blunt were born, beginning a rad fantasy in my mind. But all of that pales next to the fact that HopTech opened its doors and began blowing homebrewers right out of their mesh tons. HopTech doesn't fuck around. Real people shipping awesome shit straight to you. Their new website is fast and easy to navigate. Or just call 800-379-4677 and let badass bitch Jade and the gadget guy Roberto blow their warm load of customer service all over you. So visit the site or visit the store in Dublin, California and support those that support you. Get your brewing on at HopTech.com. Hey, my brewing brothers and sisters, this is Jamel Zanisha, and I want to tell you about Heretic Evil Twin. You might be familiar with my homebrew recipe, which uses massive late hopping to create a balance between the malty sweet and the hoppy bitter, along with an outrageous malt and hop character. I wanted a beer with the same bold hop and malt character, so we played around with the homebrew recipe until we were able to make a great commercial version, too. We've created a beer rich in malt character, full of caramel, toast, biscuit, and an ever-so-subtle roast note. On top of that, we piled in an insane amount of citra and Columbus hops at the end of the boil, as well as in dry hopping. This damn-the-cost approach to hopping gives Heretic's Evil Twin a great blast of citrus and tropical fruit that can't be matched by any other hop. The result is a bold, malty, hoppy, but easy-drinking beer. This is our top seller, our flagship beer, and I couldn't be prouder of it. Cheers. To find Heretic Beers near you, click on Find Some at hereticbrewing.com. Williams Brewing is your online resource for prompt delivery of quality homebrewing supplies. Since 1979, Williams Brewing has offered the finest equipment and the freshest ingredients backed by the best customer service in the business. Do you like to mash using efficient fly sparging but would like an easy way to heat your strike and sparge water? Enter the new Brewer's Edge Electric Mash Water Heater, a plug-in, anywhere, precisely controlled heater for strike and sparge water. Ditch the fumes and second burner and make mashing easy. Go to williamsbrewing.com today and browse their vast selection. That's williamsbrewing.com. Orders placed by 4 p.m. Pacific time weekdays ship the same day. Brewing is easy the Williams way. Back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. Enjoying uh, a lovely day in the studio. Uh, it is a fine day. It is a fine day. With good fine, beers, fine too. Day. A light breeze up. It has cooled down. It has gone from... 100 degrees to 75 <laughs> degrees. Uh, it is the end end of days is happening. happening that soon. is a big improvement. Yes. Uh, speaking of big improvements, uh, now, next question. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have anything. <laughs> All right, this, you tried. <laughs> this one's from John and Salinas. Uh-huh. Hey lads, been cycling through a few different dry hopping practices, and one I wanted to know more about was adding hops before primary fermentation was finished. Mm-hmm. I get the whole oxygen scavenging from the yeast, but what about flavor aroma contributions from the metabolizing of glycosides? 
is that a real thing or is it just the warm temp that's extracting more oils? It's really keeping me up at night. Well, you know, the, the glycosides are a real thing. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't dry, dump dry hops in on really active fermentation because I think you do blow off some of the volatile compounds with that. Yeah. And um, I don't think warmth is, I mean, that huge a thing other than, um, you know, I, I, I think a lot of the compounds that are extractable are as extractable maybe in the 60s as they are in you know low 60s as they are in the upper 60s i mean it depends what kind of temperature range you're talking about if you're talking to like you know 32 degrees fahrenheit zero c then well yeah that's that's not gonna work very well but who dry hops that cold maybe in europe i don't know (laughs) They do all sorts of weird things in Europe. <laughs> yeah. Glycosides are still still kind of TBD in terms of um, proving uh, what their contribution is. I At the ASBC conference this past summer, right after NHC, um, had a real interesting paper from Oregon State uh, University where – a great experiment that had inconclusive results showing cause and effect of hop glycosides to um, esters in the beer. Um, and everybody was kind of disappointed, but it's like, well, back to back to the lab, mm-hmm. do some more experiments. Um, but other other brewers, um, such as uh, Matt Cole from Fatheads and Mitch Steele, have all commented on. The fact that dry hopping with yeast is gives a different character overall than dry hopping uh, off the yeast or after the yeast has been pulled from the fermenter. Mm-hmm. Um, the dry hopping with uh, on the yeast, as it were, not necessarily in primary fermentation, but you know, just having you know more yeast suspended in the beer tends to give uh, more of the higher fruit. Uh, character than um, than uh, doing it off the yeast. So, just a couple data points there. Points right. of interest. Well, and you know, I I think you know the home brewer needs to take this with a. Here's where we start running afoul of things. It's like, well, you know, brewery. X does this, and Y does that, and so I should do that with my my brewing, and and that's never really you know because a lot of times in the homebrew setting, there's a ton of yeast left in the beer. Uh-huh. You know, it's not like um, they're crashing it and fining it or filtering it or something like that, and so there's considerable amount of yeast already. Good point. Um. So I don't know that, um, and and when most people dry hop in in homebrew, there's still a ton of yeast left in there. Uh, you know, I, how early on do you need to dry hop? I mean, you know, active fermentation. I mean, fermentation keeps going, and the the hops uh, that yeast is still pretty active for a long time. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, like I said, there's there's quite a bit of yeast in suspension. 
Um, but, you know, glycosides are a real thing. I think, um, you know, when we first started talking about it, um, it was uh, with Brennelson quite a few yeah. years ago. And yeah. um, when we were doing a can, you brew it, I think. Um, so I don't know that, uh, you know, here's here's my guidance for the home brewer. Maybe yours will vary, John, but I think, you know, stop worrying too much about what, you know, a specific brewer does. It's, it's so easy for you to try as a home brewer to do a batch, you know, do do a double batch, you know, and one carboy, the other carboy, and one do it colder, one do it earlier, whatever, whatever things you want to experiment with. Yeah. And try and see the difference yourself. I mean, the, the cost is not that high. It's very fairly easy to do you know you could even take a beer divide it up you know five gallons of beer divide up into five one gallon jugs and dry hop each with the you know same hops same amounts and different you know times or temperatures or something like that and see what you get and then you know let us let us know i think mm-hmm. you know that would be quite interesting it's so easy to do in a commercial setting i can't take my you know 120 barrels of beer and just pour it into you know a bunch of containers i mean i could but uh you know it i think uh you know it's the perfect things for for home brewers to try and then see what you like you don't really need to know what the actual mechanism behind it is what you need to know is you know how does that taste compared to what you want it to taste like that's mm-hmm. the more important thing what what guidance would you give uh, the home brewer, John, on that? Yeah, I mean, I I really I would encourage the home brewer not to get too wrapped around the axle on, you know, do I need to to achieve mm-hmm. glycosides in my beer? I mean, right, exactly. Th- there's <laughs> there are so many other factors that really mm-hmm. take precedence over that. Um, you know, as I think I agree with you, Jamil. You know. Do it before, do it after, you know, um, see which way you like better. I mean, or does it in fact make a difference in your system? Mm-hmm. Because really, there's, there's so many such, factors. There's so many factors and there's such a really big difference between, say, Fathead's Brewery's equipment mm-hmm. and system and your system that, um, you know, th- this... This factor may, may not even be in play, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, yeah, by all means, try it, but uh, don't don't get hung up on it. Right. Um, and especially, you know, the yeast that's used and the pitching yeah. rates and, you know, the kind of alcohols that are present, uh, mm-hmm. the acids that are present. You know, all these things are going to have an effect on, you know, how the hops are perceived as well. Yeah. So yeah. you know it's it's a it's a very intricate thing and I think the best way is to just try it and see what you like. So that's that's kind of the way that I would go with it. All Sounds right. good. Next question. This one's from Rich in Providence, Rhode Island. Dear Bruce Strong, I had a question about blending yeasts. I like to brew Belgians and one of my favorite strains is WLP five hundred, the Chimay yeast. My one major gripe with it is that it has a notoriously long lag time after pitching, and I am always really nervous until I start seeing activity in the airlock. I always make sure to make a proper starter and add oxygen prior to pitching. My question is this. Is it possible for me to pitch a second yeast at the same time to reduce the lag time? 
The catch is I am not looking to blend flavors or have the second yeast out-compete the Chimay yeast. So I could achieve the results that I am aiming for by under-pitching a second strain, whether it's Cal Ale, Seyfiel 5, or a similar Belgian strain, at the same time as the 500 that, that has a starter. Again, I'm looking to essentially preserve the flavor of 500 and achieve the peace of mind that my beer has started fermentation and is outperforming unwanted bacteria sooner rather than later. Mm, I would just pitch more WLP 500. Right. Or, yeah, I mean, it. I mean, certain yeasts are slow to slow to go and slow to to finish. Um, some of the saison strains are very much like that. Um, I'm not sure that I would, you know, if he's under pitching now, but he likes or what I would consider under pitching and, and he, he likes that flavor, then I would just keep doing it the same. But if, you know, so A second strain like Cal Ale or something, I, yeah, think would, I mean, I don't think that would help. Well, you can, um, but it, you know, it's just a weird question for me because he's worried about the bacteria, but it sounds like he's brewed with this before. Did he have a problem with bacteria before? I mean, if he didn't have a problem with bacteria before, then why worry about it now? Yeah, um, he just doesn't like the long lag time. But right, but some you know some of these yeasts, it, it takes them a while to get 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 kicking, and and they that's just the way they are. Um, yeah, I mean, you could start out warmer, you could start out with more, you could start out, um, you could ratchet down the amount of oxygen, um, mm-hmm. which that tends to increase the lag. Um, but you know, when, when I was home brewing, I would, uh, uh, sometimes on loggers before I had a good way of chilling loggers, uh, lager wort, I would put it in the fridge overnight. And yeah. 24 hours later, I'd pitch my, I'd drop the troop and pitch my yeast. Yeah, uh, I, th- I think really that's that's a more, almost more important consideration. Is like you know, if your sanitation is good, mm-hmm. it re- almost doesn't matter how long that lag time is. I mean, your sanitation is good. The beer is not going to go bad in the 36 hours it takes for the yeast to kick off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you're right. pitched, and, you, and it's going it's going to ferment well. Right. Uh, unless he has a history of contamination that, mm-hmm. that he didn't mention. But, well, and yeah. then, you know, he should, he should be addressing that. I think you're, you, you make a good point, John, where if instead of, you know, trying to pitch another yeast just to address this, you know, why not look at uh, the sanitary aspects and make sure that those are, are perfect. And then, you know, you'll, you, you've got the peace of mind there yeah. and you don't have to, you know, mess around by throwing in another yeast in, you know, you can do a, a fairly simple uh, test. You can, you know, take some wort, put it in a, uh, <coughs> excuse me, put it in a uh, uh, container a whirl pack or you know a plastic container and then uh you know heat that up you know keep it around 85 degrees and uh see if you get any sort of uh, fermentation any gas production or any haziness in there it's going to tell you you have you know ye- wild yeast or bacteria in that uh that wort sample so before yeah. you pitch your yeast you, know, you you grab that and throw that in there and then you know you go pitch your yeast in the main batch but you've pulled off a uh, a sample before pitching, and you uh, kind of do a, 
a test to see um, what your contamination uh, if it's, if it's risk contaminated. is. Right, yeah. exactly. And you can do that without any real lab gear, so uh, it's fairly easy. And if that comes out clean, um, you know, you're good. You're good. Um, that way you can, you'll can you know and you'll have that peace of mind that, oh, okay, you know, it doesn't really matter that I have a 36-hour or 48-hour lag. Um, so I'd focus more on that. Uh, you could, you know, pitch other yeasts, um, but it will affect the overall flavor of the beer. It's not going to really do, you know, uh, especially if we get started first. Um, you know, it's just going to mess around with the flavor of the beer. So I, I wouldn't bother. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd try and fix, you know, the, the core worry there. Yeah. All righty. Uh, let's do this. Uh, yeah, yeah, one more one more break, and then okay. uh, we'll come back and, and wrap it up. All right. Sounds good. We'll be back right after this. Your support of the Brewing Network means everything to us. We couldn't produce shows without you, and we love giving you something extra for that support, like... Brew Your Own Magazine. You already know it's a great brewing magazine full of recipes, equipment how-tos, discussions of beer styles, and brewing techniques. Whether you're new to brewing and just starting out or you're an old pro, you'll always learn something from the articles in Brew Your Own. Plus, there are amazing special issues like plans for building a Brutus 10 system, 250 classic clone recipes, and a home brewer's answer book. Brew Your Own Magazine and BYO.com are awesome resources for any brewer whether for yourself or as a gift when you subscribe or resubscribe from the brewing network homepage, you directly support programs like this get a great magazine and support the brewing network subscribe to brew your own right from the brewing network.com say hello to my little friend you've heard about white labs pure pitch yeast Pure Pitch is yeast grown right in its final packaging. That means yeast that has never been exposed to the environment. And White Labs Pure Pitch Yeast for Homebrewers is now available to everyone at homebrew retailers nationwide. Easy to use, perfectly sized, and ready to pitch. White Labs yeast packaged using their FlexCell process ensures the purest yeast on the market. Visit whitelabs.com to learn more about Pure Pitch, Flex Cell technology and how it's created. Then visit a homebrew retailer near you for your own perfectly sized package of pure pitch yeast. And you can say hello to your own little friend. www.whitelabs.com Attention, homebrewers. If you like making labels for your handcrafted awesomeness and wish more people could see how great you are, then check this out. GrogTag, the makers of custom reusable labels and craftbeerandbrewing.com are hosting the first ever National Homebrew Label Awards. The top 10 labels will be featured at the 2015 National Homebrewers Conference in San Diego to more than 5,000 attendees and more than $2,500 in prizes 
will be awarded. If you've created a label at any time in the past year, you're eligible to enter. Grog Tag and Craft Beer and Brewing have teamed up with great sponsors like More Beer and the Brewing Network to make this competition a great one to enter. Submit your entries between March 1st and June 1st for your chance at fortune and glory at homebrewlabelawards.com. That's homebrewlabelawards.com. Submit your label entries today. Good luck, and we'll see you in San Diego. Learning to brew has never been so disgusting. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. It's me, John, and Porno Steve here. (laughs) (laughs) All right, all right, Porno Steve, uh, read us the next question, please. All right, this one, (laughs) this one's from Trevor. Hi, John and Javiel. This is the problem with uh, cameras in the studio. Yeah, because people know. (laughs) People know. They know you look like Porno Steve. All right. Question. You guys have talked about cold steeping spices to get a different flavor profile from them before adding to the wort. Can you run through the process to keep everything sanitary? Should I boil water, let it cool in a sealed container, add spices I baked on low in the oven so they're sanitized, and then later pour the tea into the wort? Okay. Well, um, yeah, you get a different... You get a different flavor profile depending on the, the temperature you steep the spices at. Um, and for an example, I'm talking about, say, cinnamon sticks or um, what's another one? Allspice, um, you know, common spices that are used in, say, Christmas style beers, you know. Um, but this also goes for other um Aromatics such as chamomile, um, coriander, and other things. If you if you steep them cold, you'll get more of just the aroma character from them. And this this is it's the same for coffee and, and dark grains such as black malt. You get more of the you know stick your nose in the bag, uh, dry aroma if you do a cold steep for a long period of time. Now, how do you keep that sanitary? Well, the spices themselves uh, aren't necessarily laden with bacteria. Um, Because they're dried, they're not a very good nutrient source. So... um, Yeah, malt is dried too, and it's Yeah, but that's that's a very potent one, yeah. Um, I've been able like, you know, cardamom, cinnamon, so on. So I guess if you want to be very cautious. I guess the lightning finally did take out rock candy. <laughs> it got him. It got him. It got him. He was staring at the cloud too long, and <laughs> it got him. Yeah, you know, I, I'm i not that, that big a fan of cold steeping. I think... Um, if you want to do something like that, and you're talking about spices, the the best way to do it, I think what the the uh, the listener is is suggesting sounds 
uh, overly complex and and too much worry. I'll tell you, you know, how we do a lot of things. Uh, you know, at Heretic, we'll, we'll just throw spices into the beer, just loose, throw them in, and then, um, you know, we check the beer later on, and sure enough, there's no contamination whatsoever. Lab lab shows nothing. So, uh, you know, I think the alcohol in some ways will, will protect it. If you want to have an extra layer of protection, what I would suggest is taking... Um, you know, some vodka or something like that and steeping your grains in that. And you steep them cold in the vodka. I think you get the same effect. And then you can just pour that, uh, dose that into your beer. Uh, the amount of alcohol is minimal. It really isn't going to change it. Um, not even close to what a non-alcoholic beer is. Um, and you can, you know, dose the right amount of spice flavor that you want. That's always, I think, the, the easier way to go than um uh with the other so yeah just use vodka instead of water and uh like they say in in vodka there's strength and in water there's bacteria right that's the perfect Sorry. way to go lost connection there for a second there you all go. right well i finished up the question without you done good good i don't know if you're gonna say anything intelligent saying i just assumed you weren't so i just went <laughs> on without you and wrapped it up i have full faith <laughs> All right. Uh, do you have full faith in the Sour Hour? I do. There you go. Uh, it's They're doing another show Friday around noon, I think. Oh, cool. Uh, Lauren Salazar is going to be on. With oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Should be a fun show. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I'm sure all the shows are quite interesting to listen to. There you go. So check it out. Uh, Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. All right. One, oh, I was going to say one last question, but no, no. Porno Steve just jumped on the... Uh, he's got his finger on the button. Yeah, he's like, he wants to get the hell out of here. Go shoot another porno. <laughs> Dang, man. That's cold. See, we'll never get to all the questions if you keep this up. <laughs> yeah, yeah he's, he's fine with that. He doesn't, doesn't, you know, I don't know, maybe he's on cocaine. That's what I've heard. Uh, well, if you're listening live... I've been clean for a while. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying. Yeah, what time is it now? Uh, all right. So, uh, if you enjoy the show, make sure to check out the, uh, the other Brewing Network great shows and check out uh, the Brewing Network store, brewingnetwork.com slash store. There's lots of goodies in there. You buy that stuff, it all goes to the bottom line of the Brewing Network. helps keep shows like this on the air. And check out our fine sponsor, Brulickman Engineering. Blickman with a B. And uh, tell John we said howdy. Till then, everybody, Bruce Strong. Bruce Strong. <laughs> <laughs>